Thank you so much. It's such a joy and pleasure to come to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. This is not our home church, but every time we come here, it feels like it's our home church because you all are so loving and kind, and I know that you pray. I know you've been praying for us. I'll never forget the second time we came back here. Um, it was Daniel, your neighbor, I believe his name is Steve. He said, Adam, we remember you from when you were here four years ago, and we've been praying for you. And I'm not just saying that we we're praying for you. We've actually been praying for you, and I believe that this is a church that prays. And because of your prayers, I fully believe we've been able to do what God has called us to do. Without you praying for us and with others praying for us around the world, it would not have happened. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your giving. You are as much a part of this as we are, and so I'm just thankful that I can be here and give you an update on what we've been doing. Funny story, Pastor, about Jacob. You said he was six years old when he first came, and now he's 18. He started working at Ace Hardware, and I asked, you know, the managers, how's he doing? Oh, he's doing great, great kid, but he had a little trouble the first day at the cash register counting out the change because he's, you know, he's not used to seeing American currency, so he, he wasn't able to make change for people as they were coming up and paying with cash. But I want to share just a brief testimony of God's faithfulness through the process from the time we were here with our kids, ages 6, 4 to 2, to now. And I want to share this testimony to give glory and honor to God because He is faithful. I want to tell you about His faithfulness, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. If you're going through difficult times, you feel like giving up, that you too can trust in the faithfulness of God. Just before we went to Papua New Guinea, I felt a call to allocate to the group that Pastor was talking about, the Enga people. As I began telling people about this call, this feeling that, oh, God wants us to work with this particular group, I don't quite know why, but I just feel like called to this group. And I would tell other people who knew about Papua New Guinea, and they'd say, well, that's in the highlands. You don't want to work in the highlands. The people in the highlands are what they say is big head, big head. They got big head, meaning like they're arrogant, uh, they think they know everything, they're not going to listen to you, they're violent. Don't waste your time. They're not going to listen to you, just go somewhere else. And then I said, well, no, I really feel like God is calling us to the Anga people. They said, Anga? Anga is the worst of them all. Of all the Highlands people, the Anga are the worst. Don't go there. But we trusted that God had called us there and that God would be faithful to see us through. And (laughs) if they are that difficult, I think they need scriptures in their language, don't you think? (laughs) We need to do something to help them. So we decided to allocate to Anga. Now, one of the things that we had to do fairly early on was to build a house in Enga. We had lived in five different places. You know, those houses they were showing in Malawi, very similar to the ones in Papua New Guinea. We lived in one of those for about five weeks. But we needed to build a house. I mentioned briefly in a newsletter that just asked people to pray about us finding a location to build a house. And then one supporter, who I'd only met one time before, briefly after a church service, emailed me and said, Hey, Adam, I saw your your email about prayer for building a house, my wife and I would like to donate $40,000 to you to build your house. It's like, wow, praise God. You know, I hadn't even asked anybody to donate any money, and, and he just said, we want to donate this money for you to build your house. So then we just had to find a place to build it. We found the perfect spot. Everything was going great. We prefabricated the house at the Mission Center, which is about an 11-hour drive from Enga, And everything was ready to go, and about three weeks before we were supposed to build the house, because of some local political problems, we were unable to build in this perfect spot that we had found. And so we were a bit devastated. But 
God is faithful. And sometimes something that seems good to us, God says, you know what, I have something even better in mind, and withholds that from us. And only later do we find out why. So we went on furlough. We had our prefabricated house in storage for two years. We come back from furlough, and we start looking for a new place to build our house. I told you we'd live five weeks in a, what we call a bush house, like the houses you saw in that video. We'd live five weeks in a bush house in a place called Emi, a village called Emi. And we'd become very good friends with the people there. And one person in particular, a man named Benjamin, had just become a, a very good friend of mine. And we were visiting Benjamin one day in his village. And as we were there, I looked at this big sweet potato garden right on, a, on his property, right by the road. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart, Adam, I want you to build your house here. Okay. I talked to Martha afterwards. Martha said, okay. And so we felt the Lord calling us to build our house on this sweet potato garden in Emi. Now, the only problem is that Emi, you remember I was saying the Highlands people are big head? Okay. And the Anga people are the worst ones in the Highlands? Well, the people of Emi are the worst ones in Anga true. This is where they first started using guns and tribal fighting. All the other Angan people are afraid to go there. It's the worst place, one of the worst places in all of Anga. So I started telling all of my, you know, Anga co-workers, you know, we really want to build our house in Emi. And they said, Adam, don't build your house there. Are you crazy? But finally, one mature Angan Christian said to me, Adam, you're a missionary. If you're not willing to go to the hard places, then who will be? Go ahead and build your house there. So we built our house in the village of Emi. It wasn't that simple, though. On the way to build the house, we had to cart all of our prefabricated pieces of the house 11 hours over the highway to get to this village in order to build it. So we set out in the morning. It was, I believe it was in January 2017, set out in the morning, convoy of three trucks, one large truck, kind of like an 18-wheeler that had all the pieces of our house, two other smaller trucks. I was in the smallest truck behind. So we drove for about three hours, and we got to a place called Garoka. We refueled. The convoy continued. And then I realized I forgot to get motor oil because it's an old 1989 Toyota Hilux. And I have to keep putting oil in. So I went back to get the motor oil. Said, hey, you guys go on. I'll catch up. Got the motor oil. Continued down the road. About 20 minutes later, I see this big truck overturned on the side of the road. And I said, oh, man, I really feel bad for those people because I've seen trucks overturned on the side of the road. You know, containers. And within 20 minutes, the local people have them gutted and everything's gone. So I said, oh, man, I feel bad for those people. And I took a closer look at the truck. It's our truck. <laughs> it's our truck. So I pulled over to the side of the road, ran over, climbed up on top of the truck. You see the one guy sitting with the blue shirt and the hat? Climbed up on top of the truck and said, I yelled out as loud as I could. I said, I'm not a businessman. I'm a missionary. So if you steal any of these things, you're stealing not from me, but from God. <laughs> now, thankfully, there was a, a strap. We had some straps there holding that blue. You can sort of, there was a blue tarp holding everything in place. And those straps hang on, hung on by just a thread. And so that tarp stayed in place. And one of the local people said to the construction manager, I'm not making this up. He said, if that strap had broken and your stuff had fallen out, we would have taken it all. But since it's still in place, we're going to watch your things for you. <laughs> now, 
Don't ask me to explain the logic of that, but I praise God that they decided to watch our things for us instead of taking everything. So we were able to eventually get the truck back pulled up and eventually get it to the village, and we put the house together in three weeks. Not long after that, one of the translators that I work with told me about a vision that somebody in his village had seen maybe 20 years prior. This friend of his from his village had seen a vision, the vision, sorry, a vision of the cross in the village of Emi where we built our house. And Martin told me that it was his belief that by us building our house there, that vision had been brought to fulfillment. Now, I don't know <laughs> how God works, right? I don't know how us building our house there is such an important thing that God would give somebody a vision 20 years prior that would be fulfilled. But I do know that somehow, through us building our house there, that village, those people, are no longer fighting. They're no longer killing each other. What was once one of the worst tribal fighting places in the province has changed. And that's God's doing. I don't know how building a house there did that, but God did it. And so we give him praise. I'll give you a quick example of what translation is like and the challenges that we face. All sorts of challenges, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke, there's two ways to think about a yoke. A yoke is a big uh, wooden plank that you set over two oxen to help them distribute the weight of pulling a plow. But a yoke is also something that a person can wear. A smaller plank that they wear across their shoulders that helps them to carry something heavy like buckets on either side. Now, none of these things exist in Papua New Guinea. They don't have beasts of burden. Um, This is just a completely foreign concept. And we struggled for the longest time. How do we explain what this is in in the Angan language? I mean, I just had no idea. And just let it, you know, percolate in the back of my mind for months and months and just praying, God, you know, help me here, because I have no idea what we can do to translate this word. Well, God works in mysterious ways. One day, I was walking through the village, and I see, I see something that I'd seen a hundred times before. I saw a young man carrying a uh, big log on his shoulder, and we have a picture of it, with a little stick to help balance the weight. And I said, I said, hey, I was with my friend Benjamin. I said, Benjamin, what's that stick called that he's using to balance the weight? He said, oh, that's a piakend. Piakend. That's the word that we need to translate yoke. And just in, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't studying, wasn't doing anything, just living life. And all of a sudden, God put this vision, this idea in front of me that we could translate this key word in the New Testament about Jesus saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because people in Anga understand that this stick makes something very heavy a lot easier to carry. I could go on and on with many more stories like that. But God is faithful. When we don't know what we're doing, when we're incompetent, God makes a way. Now, we continued on with the translation work, and as we started getting towards the end of the translation, I had a number of more experienced translators say to me, you know, Adam, as you get close to finishing a translation, all hell breaks loose. You know, Satan doesn't like what we're doing. He doesn't want people to hear the Scriptures in their own language. And so, They said, get ready, Adam, because as you get close to finishing, all hell is going to break loose. Well, not too long after that, COVID happened, and that not just something for us, but for the whole world had to go through. We were delayed in returning to Papua New Guinea because of COVID. 
Uh, we were eventually able to get back, but it became increasingly challenging to travel anywhere, as I'm sure everybody can understand. I was able to make it up to the village from time to time, even in the midst of COVID. I went up to check the books of First and Second Peter in the village. We got it done a little earlier than I expected, which was great. And COVID cases were starting to spike. And so I said, you know what? I need to get out of here because I'm worried the government is going to shut down the highway and I'm not going to be able to see my family for a long time. So I finished up quickly. The next day I got into my truck, started driving on the Highlands Highway. And unfortunately, I did this on the day that they were mourning the death of the first prime minister. And so it was like a national holiday. Now, in Papua New Guinea, it's not safe to drive on roads when there's not a lot of other cars on the roads. This is like a national holiday, so I was about the only one on the road. I drove about four hours, and then I hit a roadblock where they put a tree across the road and demand payment in order to pass through. Okay, I paid them. Kept driving. About two minutes later, hit another roadblock. And this guy was, you know, Pastor, you were talking on Sunday about there's no mercy out there. And this guy had no mercy. He stopped the car, and I stupidly rolled my, down my window a little bit to talk to him. Trying, I was trying to get a missionary discount. Say, hey, I'm a missionary. Why don't you just let me pass through? And unfortunately, I rolled it down too much, so he reached in and took my car keys. And he just kept demanding more and more money, threatening me with violence, threatening to harm me. And uh, so I pulled out my wallet. I showed it to him. I took all the cash out, gave it to him, and he kept demanding more. Took the speaker from my car, and truth be told, he could have taken everything in my vehicle. But somehow, he let us through. I don't know if you've ever been held up on the highway or experienced highway robbery, but it is not pleasant. It is, uh, it's scarring. It was very frightening, and it gave rise to hatred in my heart. Dealt with that for many months, and in many ways still dealing with the effects of that experience. It's hard to put into words how intense it was. But we know that God is faithful, and God is our healer. And whatever hatred we have in our hearts, if we give it up to the Lord, He's able to heal us. And over time, I've seen God working in my heart, bringing about healing. And I know many of you deal with that too. People have done something to you in your life that's hurt you, and you have that hatred building up in your heart. And we've just got to give it up to the Lord and ask Him to heal us, and He is faithful to do so. Not long after that, one of the translators I work with, at this, at this time I was working with six Sanger translators, one of them, one of my closest friends, found out had been lying to me, deceiving me in order to get money out of me, telling me about sicknesses he had, surgeries he needed. He got COVID, so, you know, saying he got COVID just to get money out of me. I'm not as savvy as all you New Yorkers, so, uh, you know, pretty naive and kept helping him. And you probably would have all figured it out more quickly than I did. Um, but I finally realized what he was doing, what he was up to. And I was ready to dismiss him from the team. The other translator said, give him one more chance. So I gave him one more chance. And it wasn't long before he was up to his old tricks again, so I dismissed him from the team. He then threatened to sue me. He threatened to harm my family. He said, Adam, if you think you and your family are going to get out of this country safely, uh, you are sorely mistaken. Next time you drive into town, my sons and I are going to be waiting in the ro on the road to confront you. About that same week, Martin... Uh, who's our best reader, the one that I had in mind to do the recording of the Anga New Testament, delightful, wonderful man, started going blind. And that crushed me. 
Not, not just because he wasn't going to be able to record the Anga New Testament, but because I just had such a great love for him. When I dealt with hatred in my heart from being robbed, when I dealt with the ill feelings that arose in my heart from this other translator who was deceiving me and threatening me, I looked at people like Martin, and I just saw the pureness of heart that he had, and it kept me going. And so to see him suffer, this great man, from going blind just cut me deep. We were supposed to begin the recording in August of last year, August 2022. We had done all the checking, done everything we needed to do, and we are getting ready to record starting August 1st, 2022. However, in July, there were the national elections. And if you think the elections were bad here this last time, it was nothing compared to there. Terrible, terrible tribal fighting broke out, and it's still going on today as a result of the election. So we had to postpone the audio recording of the Anga New Testament, which was, again, a bit of a devastating blow after so many years of getting so close. But God is good. In those six months that we had to delay the audio recording, our best translator was able to pour over the New Testament, making it even better than it had been before. I want to show you this. Oh, you see this picture. This is a picture that one of our translators took. This is his village. He ran, the enemies attacked his village, a translator named Frank, he and his family ran to the hills, and before they continued running away, he snapped this picture of houses in his village being burned to the ground. Thankfully, his house uh, wasn't entirely burned, just some damage to the roof. But that's, that's what it's like. When tribal fighting breaks out, houses get burned down. All hell breaks loose as you get close to finishing a New Testament. Not long after that, we had a 7.6 earthquake hit us, which damaged our house, uh, our Solar panels, our hot water tank nearly fell off the roof. Our main sewage pipe broke. The water pipes going into the house broke. It was, a, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. But God is faithful. The people in the community rallied around to help us. And within a month, we had everything back in working order in our house. After that, we made good progress. And I had kind of finished everything that I needed, needed to do to get the New Testament done. And I was looking forward to some downtime over the holidays, just relax a little bit before we began the recording of the Anga New Testament. Then the news came. My father had been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. It's one thing when your parents are diagnosed with cancer and you're close by and you can go be with them, but I was all the way across the world. When I found out how severe it was and that he didn't have much time to live, I was able to make arrangements to get into a plane and go see him. As I was in Australia getting ready to board my plane and to Los Angeles, my sister texted me and said, let me get you a quicker flight home. She got me a quicker flight home. I was able to get home, see my dad, pray with him, tell him everything I wanted to say to him before he died. He heard me. He was able to tell me he loved me, and he died two days later. All hell breaks loose. Well, we began the recording. It was going along really well. Martha was being very supportive and helping us. Then we got the news that her dad was about to die. This is in March. She heard on a Tuesday that her dad, you know, was getting near to the end. She tried to get a flight out on that Friday or the next Monday. No flights. The only day she could fly out was the very next day. She was very upset. You know, think about just if I said to you tomorrow, hey, tomorrow you've got to fly halfway around to the world. It's a stressful situation. She was even yelling out, God, God, why won't you help me? But I knew from my own experience, I said, Martha, you don't want to delay 
Just get on, I know it's hard. Get on that flight tomorrow. Go home and see your dad. So she did. She got on the flight the next day. Doctor had said that her dad had four weeks to live. She got on the flight the next day, went home to see her dad, got home on a Wednesday night, went to see him Thursday morning at the hospital, told him everything she wanted to say to him. He understood. He was able to talk with her, and he died that afternoon. God is faithful. Martha yelled at God, why aren't you helping me? God's like, I am helping you. You don't know what I know. And God made sure that I got home in time to see my dad. And he made sure that Martha got home in time to see her dad. God is faithful. So we continued the recording. It was Martha's dream to be there on the day we finished the recording. And she was able to get back three days before we finished. And so we went through all of these struggles, all of these obstacles. Why am I telling you this? I'm not trying to give you some sob story or anything like that. What I'm trying to tell you is that God was with us every step of the way. No matter what the devil threw at us, God was there. God was faithful. No matter what the devil threw at us, God was faithful. And I can't tell you how many times I wanted to give up and quit, but God was faithful, and he saw us through. And when William finished reading the last chapter of, 20, uh, of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, Martha was there in the room, and he came out of that uh, recording studio, and I just gave him the biggest hug. We have a picture of it even. I just gave him the biggest hug because we both felt this incredible burden that we'd been carrying for 10 years through every obstacle, everything the devil threw at us to try to stop us, we felt it lifted because now we knew that every Enga speaker, all 400,000 people in Enga, would have access to hearing the New Testament in their own language. And the last thing I'll tell you is that in April, as we finished the Enga New Testament recording, a church donated $75,000 for us to buy solar-powered audio Bibles for people in villages without electricity and running water to be able to hear the Scriptures in their own language. I never asked the church to give that money. They did it of their own free will. God is faithful. And so, again, if you're going through hard times, if you feel like the devil is attacking you at every turn, if you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, you feel like giving up, remember that God is faithful. He is with you. He will see you through every single trial that you go through. Don't forget that he loves you and he is faithful. Thank you so much for all of your support and all of your prayers.